Joanne Weiner is an associate professor of economics and the director of our Applied Economics graduate program. Her research focus is in the area of tax policy and financial crisis, and she is an expert on the corporate income tax system. Welcome, Joanne. Thank you. It's nice to be here, Dean. My first question for you this afternoon has to do with tax policy. Mm -hmm. Right now, the word around town is that there's so much change going on, and uh, there's a lot of, uh, let's say, lack of understanding of where we are with, uh, with our tax policy. I wonder if you could provide some clarity. Cutting tax rates is always seen as a good thing. People would much rather pay a 15% rate than a 20, 25, or 30, or what have you. So that's good. But then the question becomes, well, how do you pay for those tax cuts? Uh, we can't just go ahead and give tax cuts and just add to the federal budget deficit because that also has consequences. So then you say, okay, well, let's, do, let's get rid of distortions to pay for the rates. Well, nobody likes to get rid of their distortions because one person's distortion is another one's essential tax break that is the only way that they can survive in today's world. But there are basic principles that we do follow, and that's even happening today. You want to have simplicity, you want to have fairness, you want to have it be administratively simple, and you want to have it be competitive. But you can't reach all of those at once, and that's what we economists try to do, is to get the trade-offs uh, correct. Well, another uh, insight that you might be able to provide for us is that right now, stock market's up, uh, unemployment is down. However, we've been here before, and uh, how do we avert another financial crisis? Well, financial crises, we, we are still not yet fully out of the one that happened nearly a decade ago. It's called the Great Recession for a good reason, because we had the stock market fall by about 50% in a matter of six to eight months. We had unemployment double to over in double digits. And it was really bad for the American economy, and we're still not quite recovered from it. There, ha there were measures taken to help such crises not happen again. Some of them are being undone now as having perhaps gone too far. I don't need to go into the current controversy over who leads the Consumer Protection, Financial Protection Bureau, but those are kinds of measures that government does see that we sometimes go too far and there's a bit of a whiplash. In terms of specifically financial crises, those are hard to manage in a way because You've got the global financial markets are completely integrated. So if there's a fire in one area, it can very easily spread to another. And that's really what happened 10 years ago. So that's the kind of stuff we're trying to stop now. And do you think we can do it? I think we can do it. I think the Federal Reserve uh, is very, very strong. Uh, there's a leadership change happening now. But the Fed typically shows remarkable continuity in measures that they take. Their goal, as often has been said, is to um, take away the punch bowl just when the party gets started. <laughs> and uh, at times when that hasn't happened, then things have gone bad. So that's, that's their role. And I, I expect that, given the recent crisis, that they will take it very seriously. So. Now, your work is so interesting because not only do you look at the, the macro trends, but you also get into some areas that really impact our daily lives. Your work on ride sharing. Um, Uber and Lyft. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about uh, about what you're doing in this in this area? Well, I love talking about Uber and Lyft. I mean, it's just it's just you can just see it's bringing a smile to my face just <laughs> even thinking about it. It's because everyone sees it every day in their lives. They see Uber and Lyft as a response to not very good taxi service that they once had. Taxi drivers say, "Yeah, but we were overly regulated, so we had to follow those rules." Um, Uber and Lyft are a perfect example of perfect competition. They have uh, two companies providing the same service, trying to compete on price. Where is it all going to end? I, as an economist, look at it and say, 
well, I, I'm trying to cross the street and all I see are fleets and fleets of Ubers and Lyfts. And I'm thinking, this is total congestion here. There's <laughs> a big market failure. <laughs> and, uh, but the reason why it's also a fun subject to research is because it does impact so many people's lives. And it's not some arcane economic theory. It's real world. And that's what I like about it. Now, you also uh, direct one of our newest and hottest programs, Applied Economics. Mm -hmm. Uh, can you tell us about this program in particular, what we're doing that's special, and uh, what, are, what can students expect out of, uh, out of getting a degree in applied economics? Oh, sure. Well, I love applied economics. I, of course, do have a PhD in economics, and I have all the theoretical training and background, and a lot of math in my background. Um, my first job, in fact, was, at a, was as a computer programmer, so I've got all those chops there. But what I see as applied economics, uh, the strength here at GW is that we teach students actually how to see economics in the real world. And you might say, well, how do I see that? And part of it is, is to say, well, you go to the CVS and you do self-checkout at a machine instead of with a person. Well, in the 10 years I've been at GW, the CVS is totally transformed. And that is economics at work. How do how do you d justify spending a lot of money on your college or graduate education? Well, think about the net present value of, your, of, that, of that spending. How, how much will you gain from making this investment? Um, another one is, um, as I mentioned already with Uber and Lyft, but more simply, people like to spend less for something, less rather than more. And then students will say, but wait a minute, what about all that, those luxury goods? And I say, well, yes, yeah, some people like to spend more to show off. There is something known as conspicuous consumption. But I translate all this theory into stuff that they can explain to their mom or grandmother or even their dean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another related question. Um, we have about 8,000 students here at the, at, in the College of Arts and Sciences. And one of the things that we're trying to do, I, I, one of the things I like to say is we're trying to turn the lights on mm -hmm. uh, in, in different subject areas. How does one turn the light on and think like an economist? What is, what's involved in that? Mm -hmm. Well, thinking like an economist, I think would, to begin with, drop the math. You're never going to see an equation out there telling you that this is a better option or that that is rational or this is the most efficient. But to say, how do I make decisions? Does this make sense? Is there some aspect of game theory involved? What happens when North Korea light, you know, sends a missile? Do we respond? If we respond, what's going to happen down the road? Is this a one-shot game or repeated game? Um, specifically in the Applied Econ program, we are matching the economics with other areas like data science and geographical information systems, budgeting, um, and a bunch of programs in the business school. So we're saying that Economics is not just economics. We are a STEM program, but we're not math. We are applying your chops to solve real problems. We here at the university are, are very engaged in transforming our students' lives, as you say, and we're also about trying to help them take it to the next level, take what we do to the next level. How would you inspire students to kind of take some of the things that you're working on mm -hmm. and move it to that next tier? Um, if, if we could talk about that just for a few minutes. I teach microeconomics, and it's a, it's a pretty sort of straightforward subject. You look to see, are people trying to do the best they can to, to maximize their well-being and their, their welfare, their, whether it's a family or a community, firms want to make profits and all. So the question is, how do you take all those theories or the abstract ideas and apply it to something else? One way is to say, well, how would I, if I were in this position, decide what to do next? What are some of the thoughts that come into mind? Do I have other places to be? Well, how do I evaluate 
my alternatives. You say, what am I giving up to do this? Why do I see shortages somewhere? What can I do to alleviate that shortage? Do these government policies like rent control or import quotas, how do they affect people in my community? Suppose I'm thinking of running for office. What kind of policies would I like to propose? I spend a lot of time teaching our students how to think. Critical thinking to me is the way to prevent your job from being taken by a robot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Professor Weiner, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's been a delight having the chance to speak with you. You're right. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.